This is the podcast by The Straits Times. And now it's time for our regular sports uh, segment, Game of Two Halves, every Monday right here at 5.15, where I host the uh, sports uh, podcasters uh, from The Straits Times. Well, I'm Bernard Lim, and with me are Assistant Sports Editor Rohit Bridgenath uh, and uh, Sports Correspondent David Lee. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Last Friday, Singapore yeah. moved its uh, disease uh, outbreak response up from yellow to orange as the coronavirus uh, spread further within the country. And how has the local sports scene been affected? I think one of the things that's happened, of course, is that we've lost the HSBC Golf, which is a tournament that's a ladies' tournament that's uh, held every year and is obviously a huge draw. Obviously, from the point of view as a journalist, you're always, you know, sort of disappointed when a tournament gets cancelled. But look, it's pretty easy to understand. And I think athletes who in some way will suffer, obviously, because when there's no tournament, you're losing money, you're losing points, you're trying to catch up, you're trying to qualify, you're trying to do all those things. And so you're saying, obviously, you're missing an opportunity, but they all know themselves, because health is basically the bedrock of what they do, that basically their health is the most important. Mm. So obviously, it's tough for a tour, but, you know, we've seen this with national natural disasters all over the world. Sometimes you have fires and, you know, tournaments get stopped. Sometimes they flood, sometimes they earthquake. These things happen and, you know, we, we just have to manage them. And obviously, one of the things about sporting events is that you have one of the greatest collections of people that you can get, you know, pushed together, you know, in a crowd. Mm-hmm. And you have people coming from all over the world and travelers and this, that, the other. So sometimes that cannot, sometimes they're not perhaps the most helpful thing when you're trying to contain a virus. I'm not a medical person, but I'm presuming that sort of works there. Mm-hmm. Well, Rohit, thank you very much for your input there. Well, David, I think Singapore moved its uh, disease outbreak response up from yellow to orange as the coronavirus spread further within the country. My question to you earlier was, how was the uh, how has the local sports scene been affected by this uh, change from yellow to orange? Right, Bernard. So the latest news today is that the HSBC Women's World Championship that was scheduled to be played at the Sentosa Golf Club from February 27 to March the 1st has been cancelled. You know, this along with two other Asian stops and the LPGA Tour that has been cancelled so far. At the local National Sports Association level, canoeing, dragon boat, fencing, taekwondo, Special Olympics, and the Singapore Disability Sports Council have suspended their activities and programs. But as this is not a hard and fast law, some local sports events still went on. For example, the Netball Super League openers were played behind closed doors at our Tampines Hub on Saturday, while the ASEAN Basketball League game at the OCBC Arena also saw about 1,800 fans. That's quite a quite quite a lot of fans watching Singapore Slingers beat Fubon Braves. While Singapore Floorball Association did not take place over the weekends, it's understood that if the Doscon level remains orange, they will resume this weekend. The Singapore Premier League that is scheduled to kick off on the February 29th will also carry on as scheduled with the Football Association of Singapore carrying out precautionary measures such as temperature screening. Mm-hmm. Well, coming over to uh, Rohit, you mentioned about HSBC Women's uh, World Championship being uh, being cancelled and postponed, rather. Do you think this will have any effect? I mean, uh, the HSBC uh, Women's uh, World Championship golf is, 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 is a, a staple event. It's a big event, a big event that many of us uh, look forward to every year. Do you think they will have any impact on the further uh, uh, events that the HSBC uh, Women's uh, World Championship will happen? No, I mean, I think it's, you know, it, uh, this is just, I think, a one-off thing. And, you know, I'm sure the tournament will return next year. 
I'm sure one of the things they're going to try and do is an extremely difficult thing to do is to see whether you can fit the tournament back into the calendar in some way. But that's very difficult because there's usually an Asian swing where you have all the tournaments one after the other in Asia. That you know the golfers go away, whether it's to America or to Europe, and to come back again to Asia might be difficult. But it is a prestige just tournament. We'll have to see what happens. But I think it's just a one-off, very unlucky, very unfortunate thing. But I pretty much understand why it's happened. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the Straits Times, a game of two halves right here on Money FM 89.3. You can catch it live right here every uh, Monday at about 5.15 in the evening. Or you can subscribe to uh, hashtag Game of Two Halves on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts or Spotify and like us and give us a rating as well. Now back to the second half of our conversation with ST Sports uh, Podcasters where we turn our attention to Singapore's only Olympic champion, Joseph Schooling. Well, in an exclusive interview with uh, ST, Schooling revealed that he will head to the United States to train with his uh, former mentor Sergio Lopez in Virginia in the build-up to the Tokyo Olympics in July. I mean, David, I know you spoke with Kuling and reported on that story as well on the Straits Times. Is it a good move for Kuling? I think so. And, and more importantly, he says he's already feeling the benefits of the move and is killing it in practice. You know, much has been said about whether he should have stayed in America after graduating. I personally felt it would have been good for him simply because there will be more swimmers around his level to push him over there. Like in this case, he's now training with 15 Olympic prospects from like Great Britain, Poland, Egypt and Hong Kong. But you know, after talking to him, I realized it was more than that. In the States, he could train hard and then take his mind off swimming once he was out of the pool. In Singapore, everywhere he went, you know, all, all people wanted to know is how, how is he swimming, what is his times like. He, he said it, it tired him out mentally. So I think most of us can identify with that, right? You know, we work hard at our jobs, we go home. The last thing we want to talk about is work, right? So sometimes you get burnt out from work, we don't even feel like working the next day. But the difference between, you know, Olympic champion Joe and us average Joes is that we don't have the whole country or even the world scrutinizing our work. So I think it's important that he goes back to this environment that makes him love swimming and racing again, that he can rediscover and reignite that passion and hunger. It's a bonus, you know, that he has someone like Sergio who treats him like his own son to coach him. You know, I, I spoke with Sergio as well and he told me that outside the pool, you know, they don't talk about swimming. Joe goes over to his place, they have barbecues, they talk about life with Sergio and his wife, like regular people, you know. So if psychologically it helps Joe to get to a better place, I'm sure it will help his performance in the pool as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rohit, I'd like to bring you back on again. Uh, do you agree with what David just said, that cooling going over to work with uh, Sergio will, will be all good for him? I think one of the things we have to realize is that athletes are not like us. They're very different and sometimes difficult kind of people. They're very finicky. They can also be very insecure. And I think especially when they are a bit vulnerable and athletes can be vulnerable because, you know, you don't swim well, you know, your timings are bad and you need some help. And I think that's when they tend to go back to people that they trust. So I think a lot of it is to do with an emotional connection that they have with the coach. And there's nothing wrong with the coaches here in Singapore. I mean, they're excellent coaches, in fact. But I think sometimes you just got to have an emotional connection with the person and sometimes it doesn't happen. I mean, for me, the the funniest story that I remember was uh, a friend of mine who's an Olympic champion in shooting from India. He had two sets of coaches Mm -hmm. and those two sets of coaches didn't even like each other. But those two sets of coaches gave him different gifts. So I think that, you know, everybody needs different things. And I think uh, Joseph needs to feel secure. I think he feels very secure with Sergio. I think that uh, environment, that environment is incredibly important. You know, an athlete needs to feel relaxed when he's practicing. He wants to, he needs to feel. So what is an athlete doing? I mean, he's going to work. He's doing pretty much the same thing every day. It can be a bit boring. So that environment is very important for him. 
mm-hmm. you know, that he is being, that he feels driven. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what uh, Joseph is feeling. And I think also what David mentioned, which is very important, is that I think out here, athletes are again funny creatures. They want fame. Yet at the same time, they want a little bit of anonymity. What I mean by that is they want privacy. You know, they want fame when they want it, they want yeah. privacy when they want it, which is fair enough. I mean, they are they are unusual people. So I think that people are so incredibly kind to Joseph in Singapore. You know, they whenever pe- I've been with him, we know when people meet him, how are you doing? How's practice going? Well done about 2016. But the conversation is always about swimming. Mm. And eventually you need to move away from swimming. I mean, he's a young man. Maybe, you know, uh, Sergio can talk to him about life. Mm-hmm. I think in many ways, Sergio is more than a swimming coach. He's a life coach. He's like a surrogate parent to him, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that plays an incredibly big role uh, mm-hmm. in what is happening right now. I think what you said, uh, what you guys mentioned, I think is just some truth to it because uh, I was discussing with a friend over over drinks as well. So he, he was saying that I think in, in Singapore, I think Joseph is always very distracted. I mean, in a sense, and not in a bad way, but wherever he goes, the people who like to uh, take a selfie with him, have an autograph from him, etc., etc. So, so it's very hard for him to focus. So being away, I think, is a, it's, a, it's a good thing for him. I personally think so as well. I mean, just want to take on this question again, uh, Rohit, you mentioned just now that some coaches are not able to, or rather... I find it difficult to build that relationship with the with the person that they train. I mean, do you think this is a case for for local coaches here? I mean, there are many great swimming coaches here in Singapore, but they're just finding it difficult to build this relationship with Joseph. No, I I don't think there should be any fault at all given to the coaches who are working with Joseph because some of them are incredibly accomplished coaches. I mean, I'll give you a very good example for something. I just came back from the Australian Open, which was won by Novak Djokovic. And Djokovic, for a lot of his career, was coached by a man called Marian Vaida. And then, you know, Djokovic went off and he was coached by Becker for a while. And then he went and was coached by Agassi for a while. And another uh, another former player called Radik Stefanik. But in the, in the end, I think Djokovic, when he was having trouble, realized he needed to come back to his roots. And he came back again to Marian Vaida and has become, again, one of the greatest players in the world. So I think that people tend to come back to people they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, nobody would ever say that the other coaches that he went to were bad. It's just a question of fit. Right. And I think fit is a very key word in this. Mm-hmm. Well, American Caleb Dressel set a new 100 meters butterfly world record time of 49.5 at last year's World Championships. While schooling has not battled his personal best since setting the Olympic record of a 50.39 in 2016. What can we expect from schooling, honestly, at this year's Olympics? Let me hear both your thoughts. You know, I, I have no doubt, you know, Joe is a fighter. There's ample proof over the years that the more people say he cannot do something, the more he wants to go out there and accomplish it. The last Olympics was a, was the best example. Like Rohit said, you know, he has felt vulnerable since. I think it's great that he has embraced this vulnerable side and admitted he was out of shape and fell out of love with swimming. There was great debate on social media about whether the media was fat shaming him. I think from our part, we, we were not going about his weight from the perspective of, oh, you're fat, you're ugly. It was never an aesthetics thing. Mm-hmm. It was more, he didn't look like he was in the best shape for optimal performance. And Joe very candidly acknowledged that and he has gone on to work on it and dropped more than 6 kilos from, from 86 kg in, in just two months. So he's definitely putting it that putting in the hard yards now, you know. And during the interview, I felt that buzz and excitement about him that has been sort of missing since the last Olympics. Of course, the, the biggest question is, with, with less than six months to go, whether there's enough time for him to work his magic in Tokyo. Uh, if he wants to go medals, he knows he has to beat Caleb Gressel and at least beat his own personal best and Olympic record of 50.39, which he has not managed for the past four years. But I think the one advantage Joe has is he's been there before. 
He knows what it takes to beat a world record holder. And you know, he, he's 24. He's in his prime. He's not someone who's pushing for a last hurrah. He's not someone in his 30s or 40s. Mm-hmm. I would even say that he has learned from his failure at last year's World Championships where he failed to even make the semifinals. Mm-hmm. So it's step by step right now, you know, make the semifinals, the final. If he gets into the final, it'll be a shootout where the rush and the racer in him will take over and it's anybody's game, really. Mm-hmm. And Rohit, what can we expect from uh, schooling at this year's Olympics, you think? Okay, so a couple of things we have to think. One is that while Joseph has going to been going through this process, the rest of the world has not been standing still. Everybody has been training hard, right? And they are very, very good swimmers all over the world. Two things. Now, the second thing is that I asked Joseph during that interview, the one makes a swimmer fast, and he said technique and strength. But I think what he didn't say is the third thing which he has is, I think great swimmers have a great feel for water. I think Joseph has a gift. I think he's just a beautiful swimmer in water. And I think that's just a natural gift that people have. And I think if you ally that natural gift to maybe his happiness and some really good training he does, I think we can expect a faster Joseph. Whether he is fast enough, you cannot say. But he will be faster for sure. I have no doubt in my mind that he will be faster than he's been over the past two years. But whether that's fast enough, you can't say because you don't know at what level somebody like Dressel will be swimming by the time he gets to the level. Mm-hmm. Well, there goes the final whistle for our sports discussion of the week. We really hope you enjoyed listening to us. Glad to have you all both uh, on our segment today. Thank you once again to Rohit and uh, David right here on Game of uh, Two Halves. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.